Good evening. The Jubilee is well and truly over, and what a magnificent four days it was, and terrific to see the Queen back on that balcony on Buckingham Palace last night. Now, I sat in this chair on Thursday, and I told you that I'd been to Trooping the Colour in the morning, and I'd been to the GB newsstand, and I'd walked through the Mall, and in the afternoon, I'd walked through St James's Park, and I, I literally met hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, and they divided into two very clear categories. One group were the home counties, middle-class patriots, dressed up, of course, in their regalia. The others were people who travelled down to London by train. They'd come from what we know as the Red Wall. They brought their kids to what they thought was a hugely historic occasion. Both groups of people were strongly, not wholly, but strongly, on the Brexit side of the debate. A lot of them wanted to talk to me about UKIP years and the referendum and the Brexit party. And, and of course, they wanted to talk about Boris. I wasn't in the least bit surprised when he was booed the next morning outside St Paul's Cathedral. And the reason is, a lot of those, a lot of those who switched to Conservative in 2019, and I'm talking more about the Red Wallers, but also some who come from the home, home counties too, they have lost trust and lost faith in this Prime Minister. Most of them couldn't give a damn about the parties and the drinking, all freely admitting they too broke the rules in lockdown. It's the lies they couldn't stand. It's the fact we're not in control of our borders. And I was struck that a group of people that used to laugh with the Prime Minister now laugh at the Prime Minister. And that is backed up today by polling from the Conservative Home website and, indeed, a poll of Daily Telegraph subscribers. Hardly the hard left of British politics. And in both those cases, and all right, you may say they're self-selecting polls in the sense that it's those that want to take part that do, but in all of it, you see that Boris Johnson is losing support. He has lost a third of those that voted for him in 2019. Now, you may well be sitting at home saying, Nigel, we still love Boris. We still believe in Boris. That's fine. But when a party loses a third of its support and when trust has gone, well, it's rather like trust breaking down in a relationship. Once it's gone, it's very, very difficult to get it back. So as we speak, 359 Conservative members of Parliament are eligible to vote. They are voting, and that poll will close at 8 o'clock. We'll get the result, we think, at around about 9 o'clock. Who's to say it might come even sooner than that? My question to you, the viewers, is should Boris survive? Give me your thoughts. I know you always do. Farage at gbnews.uk. I'll give you my thought right now. If he survives this vote tonight, which he probably will, and don't forget that out of the 359, 140 are on the government payroll, so that for them really is like asking turkeys to vote for Christmas. But if he survives this vote, and if he does go on to lead the Conservatives into the next general election, then in my opinion, they are doomed. And I promise you, I've not been bad over the years at reading the political tea leaves. They need a fresh start. He was the right man for 2019. I don't believe for a moment he's the right man for 2022. A fresh start. Someone with integrity they can trust. Somebody that actually will get immigration, both legal and illegal, under control. And somebody who's got a strategy that tells us the lights 
will not go out in Britain because we're going to have a new energy strategy. A man or woman that can produce that will win the Conservative leadership. But we'll see what happens over the course of the next couple of hours. Let's go to Downing Street and be joined by GB News's correspondent Paul Hawkins. Hiya, Nigel. Very interesting what you had to say. Hello there. I'm just wondering, actually. Um, Hiya, Nigel. I'm just wondering, you were talking about someone to lead the Conservative Party and you were just extolling the virtues of that potential contender. I was just wondering who, who you felt that could be and if there is. Because listening to Roger Gale this morning, he was saying that uh, he thought that there were, you know, the party was sport for choice when it came to contenders. Well, I think the point about it is there is no obvious, there is no one obvious contender. Um, had there been one, I suspect we'd have reached this point somewhat earlier. Um, but I don't think it's Jeremy Hunt. I think he represents a party um, of pre-2016 Conservative voters. They've got to keep those new voters that came to them. You know, the former Labour voters, the UKIP voters, those kind of voters. Um, but I would say this, Paul, my view is, whilst it would be a gamble to get rid of Boris Johnson, I suspect it's an even bigger gamble for them to stick with him. Now, Paul, we had the resignation this morning of John Penrose, um, the Conservative Member of Parliament, Western Supermare, and, and he's gone. Uh, there's been a junior PPS resignation. Uh, what is the buzz, what is the mood around Downing Street as we speak? Yeah, I would say it's intense at the moment. Uh, no, no one's really expecting a shock result. They're not expecting Boris Johnson to lose this vote of no confidence. But what the, where the question mark is, is over the size of that rebellion and how big uh, will be the wound inflicted on the Prime Minister? How much will his authority be damaged? And alluding to what you were just saying about the Red Wall voters, after this, when we pick through the debris of the result tomorrow morning, what will voters say when it comes to that big by-election on June the 23rd in Wakefield and also down in uh, Honiton and Tiverton because the polling there suggests that the Lib Dems are set to take that seat down in Devon and then Labour are set to take back that seat in Wakefield and if that happens that will give more weight again to people, Conservative MPs like Andrew Bridgen, who earlier today were saying, you know, we could go back and revisit this one-year immunity rule when it comes to the no-confidence vote. We might change the rules so that we get another crack at the Prime Minister again after two big by-election defeats. So the, it, it will die down the pressure for the Prime Minister from tomorrow onwards, but then when we get to those by-elections towards the end of the month, if they do perform badly, the Conservative Party, as polling suggests, then after that, the, prime, the pressure could be back on the Prime Minister. And if they change those rules on the no-confidence vote, then, you know, he, his, his number could be up again. Yeah, Paul, thank you. We're going to speak to you again over the course of the next couple of hours. Now, in some ways, the timing of all this is quite good for Boris Johnson in that we have a declaration at 8 o'clock this morning that the vote was going to happen at 6 o'clock tonight, which, of course, hasn't given constituents very much time to talk to their members of Parliament, although... One of the reasons, of course, the letters have all gone in is that last week was half term, last week was the recess, and I think they were feeling the heat over this issue of trust. The other piece of luck, I suppose, for Johnson is that those by-elections are just a couple of weeks away, and if you believe the latest opinion polls, Labour are miles ahead in Wakefield and the Lib Dems, amazingly, well ahead in Honiton and Tiverton. But it's a big Westminster Corridors game that is going on as we speak. And I'm joined now by GB News' own 
Gloria de Piero, and of course a former Labour Member of Parliament for Ashfield. Gloria, uh, you've, you've been in those corridors, you've seen all the intrigue. Um, as we went to air, there were 149 MPs publicly declaring their support for Boris Johnson, but a lot of them are cabinet ministers, junior ministers, on the payroll in some way. Uh, when people say they support somebody in Westminster, do they mean it? Well, of course, it's a secret ballot. And if you're on the payroll, you really do have to um, come out and publicly say that you support um, your boss. But I think it might have unnerved some people to read that the Prime Minister has been on the phone talking to um, potential uh, rebels today, saying, well, you know, they could be brought in, there could be uh, little rewards dangled in front Ooh. of them, because if they're getting jobs and somebody else is losing their job, of course. But on a night like this, when your party is in civil war, there's bad blood. Because the views of MPs, they are acting what they believe are in the best interests of their party, really sincerely held views. And there's a group of Conservative MPs who sincerely believe that they are done at the next election if Boris Johnson stays. And there are probably a bigger number of Conservative MPs who, who believe the opposite, the opposite yeah. that they're both yeah. sincerely yeah. held views. Yeah. Uh, but once that civil war is out in the open, it's very difficult to, cause you actually really are quite cross with your colleagues who take a different view on this. Yes, You know, I mean, there's not much chat in the tea room between I mean, people. You were there as an MP during the Corbyn years, yeah. when the <laughs> well, Labour Party was actually split in a bigger way than the Conservative Party split at the moment. Well, we had um, a no-confidence vote uh, on Jeremy Corbyn, um, slightly different circumstances and sort of our rules are different to the Conservatives, but it was something like 172 MPs voted to no confidence Jeremy Corbyn and 40 MPs um, said uh, that he should stay. But he said, oh, I'm not listening to this nonsense, I'm, I'm staying anyway. The most helpful thing to Jeremy Corbyn, his leadership, was actually nothing to do with something in his control. It's when Theresa May called that election. Mm. And then mm. Jeremy Corbyn deprived her of majority. Yeah. And then all those people who had called yeah. for him to go had to shut up. Will Boris do the same? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's something <coughs> well, in his armoury. It's possible. It's, it's possible. And as you say, a secret ballot. Although, wasn't it interesting that the whips this morning were asking certain MPs to photograph their ballot paper. Do you think that's a test true? Of do you yeah. think that's... No, no, I got that. I got that from the horse's mouth. Now no phones will be allowed no. into the room, and we keep showing the room where they're going to vote. Yeah, I mean that is happening. So he could call a general election, could he? Could he win tonight? I mean, but if he does that, doesn't it mean that actually what they're voting on tonight isn't the well-being of their party, isn't the well-being of their country? It's about one man's career. Well, no, indeed, but I'm just thinking, what are the tools left? I think he will win tonight, but it's how convincing that win is, and so, everyone will have different definitions. So a third, of the, a third of the electorate are on the payroll, so if a third, say 120, 130, voted against him, then that's roughly half of the backbenchers, isn't it? Well, all I know is that there has never been a Prime Minister that I can remember in history, who has been subject to this process, who has come out with a happy ending, with their career enhanced in the long run. So surviving today does not mean that it's that he is safe yes, forever. Yes, Major, May... None yeah, of them yeah, had happy yeah. endings. No, no, None and of course Thatcher too. Yeah, no, we can argue that. And Gloria, I want to just think for a moment. You know, Labour on, in, in the polls have a big lead at the moment an in okay Wakefield. Lead. Well, an OK well, lead. Well, but in the Wakefield by-election they have a lead. <clears throat> what is clear from pollsters is there is no great rush of enthusiasm for Starmer's yeah. Labour Party, as there was for Tony Blair Indeed. in those 95, 6, 7 years. 
What do you think the Labour? What do you, what do you think Starmer's office? How are they wargaming this tonight? I mean, what, do they I, want Boris to stay or do they want Boris to go? I, do you know what? I think the truth is that the fundamentals of our politics remain the same, whether he stays or he goes. People are hurting because prices are rising and Keir Starmer hasn't broken through. Now, I don't think whether Boris Johnson stays or goes, those fundamentals change. That's still the challenge for Labour and the challenge for this government to, 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 to ease their pain. Yeah, well, I don't know where this is what going to night. end up tonight. What but a I, night it's but going I, to be. But I, but, I, but I still stick very much with my view that if he stays... I'm one of those who thinks if he stays, they're doomed because too many people have lost trust and faith in him. Gloria, thank you very much indeed for joining me. And in a moment, we'll talk about one of those previous challenges. In fact, two of those previous challenges, because John Major had a motion of confidence vote on him in 1993 and in 1995. He survived both and yet, and yet, went on to electoral disaster. I'll be joined by Angela Knight, who was an MP at the time. Sir Christopher Mayer was one of his closest possible advisers. And we'll try and draw some comparisons between then and now. And what about our chip shops? Yes, not only is the price of fish going through the roof, we're now begging Norway to sell us more cod. The Norwegians have a 200-mile exclusive economic zone. And off Scotland and the east coast of England, we've got six miles. Surely something in that, in Brexit, that hasn't been fully delivered. We'll discuss fish and chips when I'm back with you in just a moment. So, should Boris survive? Your reactions? One viewer says, not if respect for the law means anything. Well, that was the view very much that John Penrose took when he resigned this morning. Sue says, of course, he will win and survive. And that was the message he was giving to Conservative MPs at four o'clock this afternoon. Another says, yes, he should. There is no viable alternative. And you know that, Nigel. I can see there is no obvious successor at this moment in time. And I absolutely accept that if MPs are to get rid of him, they are taking a gamble. But I stick with the view they're taking an even bigger gamble if they stay with him, because if up to a third of your vote from 2019 now thinks... I mean, frankly, what they think is he's a liar. That's what they were telling me on the mail on Thursday. Then uh, there's no way back in my view. One viewer on Twitter says, definitely. He's had the most difficult term as PM. Yes, he's made errors. Let those in glass houses throw the first stones. Well, thank you, everybody, for that. Now, there is this story that we conjure up that the Conservative Party is utterly ruthless. It gets rid of its leaders as soon as it sees them as being losers. And yet, it didn't get rid of Mrs May. It had the chance in December 2018 to get rid of Mrs May, and it didn't do so. It was a catastrophic prime, min prime ministership. And in the end, actually, it was the Brexit Party that got rid of her by humiliating her in the European elections. The Tories came fifth, their worst electoral result for 200 years. But there's another precedent that I think we should draw upon. In the 1990s, the Conservatives had been in power for quite a long time. Rather like today, they've been in power for 12 years. John Major was the Prime Minister. Now, taking over from Margaret Thatcher was never going to be an easy thing to do. But twice in that period of time, once in 1993, when in his desperate effort to get the Maastricht Treaty through, he turned it into a motion of confidence vote. And then, in 1995, the letters went in. There was a challenge from John Redwood. John Redwood failed. Major sailed on, of course, 
to electoral catastrophe in 1997. Well, Sir Christopher Meyer was a Downing Street press secretary at the time for John Major. You were there. You I had a ringside seat. You saw it all at I first. saw it all in its bloody horror. Yes, I did. Well, in the end, it was, wasn't it? It was a cataclysmic election result in 97. Yeah, 97 was a cataclysmic um, result, a really, really bad result. And it always leads me to think that whenever you have these no-confidence votes, they never end well, because they are in and of themselves a sign of weakness, a sign of political weakness. You don't do it or it's not forced upon you unless you are weak. So you can come out winning quite comfortably, as John Major did in 95, yeah. and for you know five minutes, I mean, a bit longer than that, he relaxes, he thinks, oh, I'm, I'm home and dry, but it's not. It's the beginning of the end rather than the, uh, the end of the torment that he had suffered largely from his proto-Brexiteers in, in his party mm. who were kicking him all the time yes, about Maastricht. He had a word that he used about he had a, Am I allowed to use it? <laughs> you use it, go yeah, on. Bastards. That's Plus, right. He called them bastards, and yes. some of them are still around today, yeah. which I think is one of the reasons why he gets so furious about, uh, about Brexit. Um, but it... It is not the road to salvation. No, and I mean, of course, Mrs. Thatcher had the challenge in 89, yeah. um, and then another one in 1990. And, and <laughs> in a sense, being challenged by your own MPs is a slight act of humiliation, really, isn't it? Well, it is. And to invite it in the hope that you can make them put up or shut up doesn't work. Because once the immediate effect of the election result, John Major's victory in 1995, is yep. worn off, and it wears off very quickly, it's almost like a cabinet reshuffle, to be quite honest with you. The effect lasts for about five minutes, and then it's politics as normal. And then it is your uh, systematic, systemic personal weaknesses reassert themselves. So you get back again to where you where you started before you or, had or perhaps after 95 party discipline was even worse well it got worse because uh, the majority the Tory party majority was getting thinner and thinner and thinner with by-elections with by-elections yeah so that gives uh, particular strength to rebels and forces you to rely on people who may not have the same political objectives as you would wish to have and there was a heavy reliance in those days if I remember on the UUP, the Ulster, uh, you know, the, the moderate, yeah, um, and it it, it 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 was, it would have been better <laughs> had he gone. Well, it, well, this to this, be honest, yeah, this is but the it's, point. It's prolonged death, so, so slow that was, agony. That was 15 years in to yeah. a Conservative uh, government. We're now 12 years into a Conservative government. So you and, and I know that you, you you know you served Major loyally, but looking back, it would have been better if he'd gone in '95. Yeah, it probably would have been better, but I mean, if you looked at the constellation of political forces, then it was never, it was never a run, and he was never going to consider it. And there was always the hope that somehow or other he could turn the ship round mm. and sail into a successful sunset, as opposed to one of, of. And uh, fast forwarding, fast forwarding to today. It is, yes. And we don't know what the result's going to be. Mm. I mean, there is clearly going to be a sizable vote against the Prime Minister. We can't measure it as yet in terms of scale, but it's clearly going to be sizable. Is Boris Johnson going to survive this, or is this John Major repeated all over? Well, he may well survive this. I mean, if the margin of success for him is very, very narrow, then he won't survive it, I suspect. Um, but if he wins quite comfortably, then I think he could go on to the general election. But what, what Tory MPs have, in my view, have to consider is 
they have to think strategically. They have to think a little bit more than what's going to happen today. And the thing they need to focus on is 2024, if that's when the election is, it might be 2023. Could be could be, it could be earlier. And what gives them the best chance of not being defeated by Labour? Mm. And in my personal view, it's not Boris Johnson. OK. Well, thank you. Very much indeed, Christopher, for joining us on the programme this evening. Thank you. Well, that was a fairly clear and decisive view. And I do think that parallel, I do really think that parallel, taking us back to those major years back in 1995, I think it's a very, very strong comparison between then and now. I genuinely do. But John Major went on to electoral disaster. Um, and Boris Johnson, in my view, will too. And I know so many of you sitting at home disagree with me because you're willing Boris on, because you're Brexiteers and he was your man. And I get it. And I say it again. He was the right person for 2019. He really, truly was. He's just not now. Well, somebody else that had a ringside seat on all of this it was Angela Knight, a member of parliament, of course, at the time, economic secretary to the Treasury. And you were there in parliament. You saw, you saw the Maastricht division and it was pushed yeah. through. With, but, but 95 was what I was just talking mm -hmm. to Christopher Mayer about. I mean, when you look back at that, I know that you yourself lost your seat in mm -hmm. 97, as did I think 160 yes. uh, conservative members of parliament lost their seats. Am I wrong to draw these parallels between then and now? No, I think there are some par parallels, but there are also some differences because there was this very sort of strong view which you got wherever you went in the country that it was time for a change. So whether it was uh, John Major, you know, had been challenged or hadn't been challenged, whether somebody else had been leader or whatever, the time for a change, I think, was the yeah. mantra that overrode and everything. Blair, and Blair was good. And Blair was good. He was electable. Yeah. Yeah. And he was particularly electable amongst a type of conservative, if you see what I mean, mm. who kind of saw him as one of them, sort of centrist, not terribly drawn in one direction or another. And so, therefore, you know, eminently votable for. And, of course, that's exactly how he pitched himself. And he did a good job. But if he had been the man of the moment, you know, the previous election, it might not have been the case because the previous election, general election, the, that, same, that same feeling of time for a change was not there or not mm. there, anything mm. like as no, strong. No, I, I completely understand what you mean mm. about that. We were, you know, we were a long way into a Conservative government. Yes, we were. Um, but, we're, but we're quite a long way into this Conservative we are, government. We, and, we, we are. And people we have forgotten are. that, it seems to me. I mean, I guess now the difference is this, that Labour was the threat to the Conservatives in 97. There are now two threats. There is the red wall threat, and this is not because Starmer is particularly strong, but it's because Jeremy Corbyn's not there. Yeah, and, and that's I think true. He, you know, he won those seats partly on Brexit, the frustration of Brexit yeah. voters, goodness me, I felt it too. But also a lot of those northern traditional patriotic constituencies with links to regiments and the British Army, mm -hmm. they saw a Labour leader who was too friendly with the IRA, yeah. uh, and that's not there. And then you've got the Lib Dem factor this time. Those voters you were talking yes. about that yes. voted for Tony Blair, they're thinking about the Lib yes. Dems now. And Lib Dem was always there in a, a large part of the, the country. You know, the South West was always, the, it was a Lib Dem uh, vote. I mean, I come from Sheffield, so I come from, if you like, yeah. a red wall. Yeah. Uh, and politics has been very very complicated in some respects in recent years because it was always Labour, 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 Labour 
it wasn't conservative, it was just Labour. And then Labour started to lose it, and they lost it partly to the Lib Dems. They've now got the Greens in there. Yeah. There's a whole sort of strange yeah, and seats like Sheffield Hallam, Nick Clegg, of course, exactly. became a Lib Dem member of Parliament. So these changes do happen. These changes do happen. The other thing about, about the Red Wall seats, I would say that for quite a lot of them, they look at Keir Starmer and they say, well, he's not one of us either. He's just mm. one of those down there. He's one of those southerners. He's, he's you know, he's Notting Hill. He's North London. Yeah. It's, there, there is not the same sort of traction. He's not one of those, those type of Labour uh, leaders which the North will vote for. Mm. That doesn't mean that they, the but Red Wall seats are going to stick. But they're not scared Absolutely. of it, as they were with Jeremy Corbyn. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. He yeah. might not be one of them, but he's not going to do things against them, and that was their worry with, with Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. So I, it, it's a very tricky situation out there, and of course, you know, this particular uh, election, which we'll hear the result of and whatever it is just after nine o'clock that doesn't help either because whichever way it goes well let's let's make the obvious assumption yeah. that boris is going to win there's yeah. two things that are a problem one is that there's been a challenge i mean that's and not, that of itself is a that problem. of itself is not great and second is okay how many actually do vote against because if it's a lot more than the numbers we've put in letters mm. well you know that doesn't look good and then what you've got is you, we've moved from one sort of infight in the conservative party to another so sort of infight i don't think it's it's a good look i really don't no, i, I don't think it's a problem and you know who wants to call whatever the by-elections are concerned but you know the, well, the, the polls look pretty clear at this moment in time. Pretty and, clear. and again, Don't they you just? Know, Christopher Maher was saying in 95 that the lead was being eroded with every well, single by-election, different situations, yes, smaller majority. But, but, but. He, he has a point. I mean, he was looking at it from the outside. From the inside, I suspect it sort of felt rather worse than it did from the outside. Mm. I mean, I went into the general election, fought it tooth and nail, because hope springs eternal in the human heart. Yeah. But you only had to have two brain cells more than a plant to know that we were going to lose. Yes. You know, we were going to lose. And, you, and actually, and, and do you know, you, it, wasn't, it wasn't on Europe or any of the, the big issues. It was because there was a whole series of small things, different things in different parts of the country, but a view that we want to change. Well, I'd love to see if there is a challenge uh, to Boris Johnson. If he does lose, yeah. um, I'd love to see it. I did say at the start of the programme mm -hmm. that one of the three things I thought was needed was a new energy policy that promises us that, well, that the lights won't go out. Well, you know that I'm in favour of that yeah. very I strongly. Mean, you know, the, I mean, to think the front page of the Times last yeah. week was talking about potential power blackouts. Yes, I know. For I six know. million households. Which is ridiculous. I mean, I, actually, I think that what they did, even the Times revved up a report uh, to make a, a really good headline, a sort of wow. scary, scary stuff. Because we've always had these, these sort of, what are you going to do if disaster strikes? Mm. You know, this emergency planning, you do it beforehand. You don't do emergency planning afterwards. Uh, and of course, if you did it afterwards, yeah. you'd be in trouble. If you do it beforehand, yeah. you're being scary. But the, the, the reality of have we got our energy policy in the right place is we haven't, as you and I have discussed yeah. before. Yeah. And that actually getting on and doing something about making ourselves more secure, about getting Getting the small nuclear power stations built, which, by the way, you can do one every year. It's the big ones you can't do one every time. year. Uh, whoever's letter it was that was published, I've forgotten the name, which is stupid of me, but whoever's letter it was that was published, which said, and amongst the things, Boris, that you've got wrong, you can't build a nuclear power station.
fashion every oh, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, was right if you mean these 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 socking great big ones. But the smaller ones you but can. For the smaller well, ones. Well, we do it with submarines. You can. We do it for submarines. Absolutely and, yeah, no, right. And and I think ultimately, if people have got jobs, if they're getting a reasonable income, if some of the things that they were worried were going to happen don't happen, if they can still put the lights on, if it's a reasonable, you know, those day-to-day -day things are very important to people and. That, I think, is where absolutely, whatever happens tonight, yeah. absolutely, the government must just concentrate on that. And if they do, then what they're doing is they're rolling out the actions that people want. They've got policy and strategy in place, and there will always be this sort of rumble underneath. But that's a much better chance than if they don't govern no, uh, according completely. to what the people are, I, are seeking them to do. Angela Knight, thank you for joining me. There wasn't well, much optimism there for Angela Knight. Whatever happens, whatever the result is tonight, one or two more reactions from you at home. Sam says, yes, he should survive. Stop pandering to the whims of the media and elite and start pandering to his voters. This is not the time for political uncertainty. And anybody fanning the flames is gambling with the security of this nation and Europe. Well, Sam, there's always an argument you shouldn't get rid of a leader because of what's going on. Mrs Thatcher was removed in the middle of the first Gulf War. You see, it's interesting, isn't it? One viewer says he has lied to the public, lied to Parliament, he is not fit for office, and I have to say there is a significant, there are a minority of Conservative voters, but a significant minority of Conservative voters, and a much bigger one amongst the others in the country, feel that. David says it's not really a matter of do you think he will survive. He will survive, and perhaps he can finally move on and forget this whole torturous process. Well, Angela Knight and Christopher Meyer were not optimistic about that. And finally, Michael says... If only there was an acceptable replacement. Well, a lot of people said that back in 1975. Ted Heath was challenged and nobody quite knew what would happen. And a woman who'd been education secretary and wasn't particularly high profile came out of nowhere. And lover or hater, Mrs Thatcher became a very strong, dominant leader of the Conservative Party. I'm not going to say right now who the next leader would be if Boris loses tonight. It would be a gamble for them, but it's an even bigger gamble if they stay. In a moment, I will tell you about our fish and ship shops and what needs to be done to keep them open. Well, as I speak to you in this building behind me, they are still voting in that committee room and the polls close at 8 o'clock. We're expecting a result. At 9 o'clock, there were, as we went to air, 149 Conservative members of Parliament pledged to support Boris Johnson. But as we know, what they say in public and what they do in the privacy of the polling booth can be two very different things. So we will get a result in about an hour and a half's time. Um, I don't know, perhaps it's likely that Boris Johnson does win, but by how much does he win? Um, I want to go back again and think about the historical precedents for this. You know, we spoke a moment ago to John Major's former press secretary, to somebody who was a minister in that period of time. But let's have a look back, because this has happened. Challenges happened to Thatcher, they happened to Major, they happened to Duncan Smith. Uh, they happen to almost every Conservative leader, so it seems. Well, Lord Robert Hayward joins me, a Conservative peer, polling analyst, expert and predictor of the 2015 general election. But more importantly, you actually got the referendum right in 2016. How did you manage that when everybody else got it wrong? <laughs> By listening to what people were saying, Good including Lord. the media. 
um, much of the media were coming back from places like Nottingham and Gloucester, and they were saying, we can't find anybody who's going to vote Remain. And I told them afterwards, I said, you know, you weren't listening to your own messages, let alone my own conversations with friends who were going to be deviant if they were bankers. All bankers were supposed to be voting to Remain. And I got friends who voted to leave. I voted to remain, but you know, as I say, they were, and consistently, the people who were doing what was unexpected were deviating towards the leave camp, and that was what gave me the uh, conviction that they that it was going to be a vote for leave. When you look at things like the 2016 referendum, and indeed the Trump result later that year, and other results we've had, uh, the polling industry is struggling reputationally, isn't it? It does. And you, people only take notice of the ones they get wrong. Uh, so it, it, the attention is always on the ones they get wrong, inevitably. Mm -hmm. But actually, if you look at 2019, for example, they did pretty well. Um, in, in the United States in 2020, they didn't do well. Um, no. So they've gone for a great review of to what they got wrong in 2020. Um, so what happens is generally it's one demographic that suddenly, or fairly suddenly, changes its approach. And that's what happened in relation to this country in 2019. It's what happened in the United States in 2020, is that key demographic graphics suddenly change their uh, approach to the political parties. And the industry gets it right sometimes and doesn't others. Effectively, they're fighting the old war because their numbers yeah. and their weightings and all their assessments yeah. are worse on what happened last time yeah. and they don't adjust quickly enough to what might happen next time. Now, you've been around the block politically <laughs> and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. You're a veteran commentator and you've seen these challenges before. I have. So, to begin, is it a disaster for a sitting Prime Minister, Conservative Prime Minister, to face a challenge at all? It is. It's seriously damaging. It's not the absolute disaster in itself. Normally, what happens is the disaster comes afterwards because defeat is an attritional process of which a vote of confidence is part of that attrition. Mm. Now, you've got with you some books from previous contests that took place in the Conservative Party. Explain all, please. I've got here um, the books where I did the work on the position for Mrs Thatcher uh, in 1990 when she faced votes of confidence and yep. then leadership elections against others. Uh, and what I did was I took a list of members of the House of Commons and I just worked my way through. Because I'd heard over years, and I tend to remember key conversations, and I measured every single person whether they would vote for Mrs Thatcher or against her. And then if there was to be a second ballot, how they would vote without Mrs Thatcher. Would they go for Douglas Hurd? or whether they go Michael Heseltine or John Major. And my expertise in inverted commas had come from 1989 when I advised Cecil Parkinson of the number of dissenters who would vote and for Anthony Mayer. Just to remind viewers, this was the first challenge. There was, the, there was, there was, a, there was a confidence vote or a leadership challenge in 89, wasn't it? In 89, this, what was proverbially called the stalking horse, Sir yes. Anthony Mayer, yes. first time that Mrs T had been challenged from within the party. Uh, and I think number 10 at the moment are making many of the same errors that number 10 made with her because they were going out saying, oh, no, there'll be no support for the opposition. Anthony May is only going to get 20 votes. And I remember talking to Cecil Parkinson saying, he's going to get 50. He'll get 50 
and with abstentions, and if you're telling her, telling the nation it's going to be 20, then 50 is an absolute defeat for you. Right. So it's the messaging of it, and you've got people like Nadine Doris saying, oh, well, there'll be so few uh, opponents, it's just a group of people got up by the media. Now, it isn't a group of people got up by the media. When you have Steve Baker and Mark Harper on one side of the yeah. political argument, yeah. and Bob Neill and Stephen Hammond on the other side of the political argument, remain in the latter case yeah. and, and leave us in the first case. That's not a media-inspired debate. That's a debate because of personal feelings. Yeah, interesting. So in the end, in the end, Mrs Thatcher fell short. She didn't. That's the interesting thing. And this is relevant to this evening. Oh, we should, four votes. She was four votes yes. short. Okay. She was re-elected by four votes. Right. But it was clear that the attritional process would continue. And what happened was... And that's when the men in grey suits appeared. She actually asked, she decided to meet the members of her cabinet, one by one. And um, she met them and then decided to stand down. Very, very clear recollection, because I was with cabinet ministers as they were going in and coming mm. out, Chris Patton, Ken Baker, people like that. Mm. And if we go on from that event to 95, it's quite interesting, uh, you know, Christopher Meyer, who was there working as a press secretary, saying in retrospect it might have been better if Major had gone in 95 and the party had, had, had got itself a fresh start. Before we speculate on Boris Johnson, we've been out today, may not be as scientific as your polling, we've been out in Uxbridge today, which of course is Boris Johnson's sure. own constituency, we've been out there talking to voters, getting some of the reactions to tonight's vote. Boris has always been great, you know, he's always... Not the area is affluent, it's well looked after, and as a Prime Minister I think it's done a lot for the country. It's a bit unfortunate how he's been treated by some of his other members, clearly want the leadership power, but uh, no, I like Boris and I'll continue to vote for him as long as he's still going to be around. Because I'm vulnerable, I was in, in the House a lot, and then to find out that, you know, they've been having parties and spreading the virus was, was heartbreaking, it really was. You sound like you're quite sort of, I guess, quite divided on him as a leader. I'm, I feel politically homeless now. I don't know what to do. Well, I think he's done very well. He's been thrown at the rough end. He's done very well with everything, with the virus and the whole lot. And after all, he may have made mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're only human. We want a constituency MP, and unfortunately Boris hasn't got the time or the inclination to get involved and actually sort things out here. And he's got a very small majority. He's actually on a very slippery wicket here. He inherited an 11,000 majority. It's down to seven. Uh, with the local council elections recently in Uxbridge, the ward boundaries have changed slightly. Uh, the Conservatives have only got two councillors now. They used to have three. Labour have got one in. Uh, Boris would be on a very sticky wicket at a general election at the moment here. He would lose his seat. It always interests me, Robert, when you go out at random into any shopping centre or high street in the country. It amazes me how much knowledge a lot of people have. They really do. They, you know, this idea that they're all stupid, they're not. Far, far from it. Absolutely. They've got a clear view about their own community. They may not be aware of the influences in some broad apology, policy. You were talking about energy yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But they know about their own community yeah. very clearly. Even in London, where there is substantial churn in terms of voting, uh, the population... 
people have a sense of what affects their community and they will have that as a perspective. And what they think is right and what yes. they think is wrong and that Absolutely. comes across. I thought of the people we spoke to, the most interesting one was the lady who said, I'm now politically homeless. And then you get the strong Boris supporters and I think this to me is the point. The point is that somewhere, well, up to a third of people who voted Conservative in 2019, and a lot of those had previously voted Labour or they'd come through UKIP or the Brexit Party or whatever they'd yes. done. But up to a third of those voters, and some of them are Daily Telegraph subscribers and con home readers, and, and it's not all red wool, you know, no, it's, no. It's, oh, no. it's, it's a mixture of these things. But when you lose over a quarter, up to a third of your vote from last time round, and when they say they've lost faith in you, they've lost trust in you, it's not easy to get them back, is it? No, and that's the key thing. Now, some of them will say, I've lost faith, and then they'll come back. Yeah. And if you look at opinion polls in the Brown days, uh, in the major days, Mrs T's days, I remember losing hundreds of council seats across the country when Mrs T was leader, yeah. but she'd then win the next election. Mm -hmm. So it does vary. People's responses vary in different circumstances. In this circumstance, Boris had a buy-in in a certain way, which was reflected by that first voter. And he's lost that with a lot of people. And there are some very, very stark figures. And it's not just the figures. In focus groups, which is a relatively modern invention, where you get a small group of people around and they're asked to use key words to what they... The word liar, deceitful. Uh, are words that you would never have heard about Boris. They may not have liked him, but they didn't use those sorts of words. And his own supporters are now saying, former supporters... Or a percentage of a them. A percentage of yes. them, yes. Yes, yes. Not all of them by oh, no. far. And there oh, no. are lots of people watching us right now who no. like Boris and want him to succeed Absolutely. and want him to stay. Absolutely. But when, when you lose enough of a percentage... It's when you lose enough of the percentage and they go, as that lady implied, they're homeless. Mm. And what he's also done which is going to be a problem for the Tory party at the next election, is that the people who were against him are even more against him now. And therefore, they may be willing to vote tactically in a way which they would not normally. Labour yeah. for Lib Dems, yeah. Lib Dem for Labour, for Greens or whatever it may happen to be. Um, so it, that's why I love elections and their statistics, because... It's never a single clear answer. You have to understand no, the complex. series of movements of no, of within course. any uh, and area. We're just hearing, we're just hearing that the Member of Parliament for Bishop Auckland, Deanna Davison, has voted against the Prime Minister. That's interesting because she is, I mean, of the Red Wall MPs, one of the most prominent um, and one of the biggest surprises. And she's made quite an impact, hasn't she? Really? Oh, yes, she has. Very much a, uh, a surprise. And Simon Fell from Barrow announced over the weekend that he was not in support of the Prime Minister. Again, Barrow, classic Red yeah. Wall constituency, yeah. British yeah. of Auckland, which Deanna represents. I went to watch some of the voting. Couldn't go into the committee room, but I was chatting to my former colleagues in the committee corridor just before I came across here. But that is the thing, is that 
Well, I've seen during the day the journalists raising their expectation of the numbers of people who are going to vote against it. Yes. Now, declared for Boris Johnson now, I've just been told the number has reached 157. Right. Who've publicly said, hardly overwhelming, though, is Well, it? there are 359 Tory MPs. Yeah, and 140 on the payroll. <laughs> yes, yeah, but well, I don't... Well, yeah, PPS But I don't isn't. believe a fair number of those people... Do you mean that people... Do you mean our elected representatives do not always tell us the straightforward, honest truth? Funnily enough, you'll be amazed to discover no, that they don't tell you the truth all the time. Having said that, a lot of politicians of all persuasions are very down the line, very open, very genuine. Yeah. But there's an element in leadership elections. And I took great pleasure in reminding my niece, who was the Labour leader of Camden this afternoon, I'm reminded yeah. of, that actually the Labour Party, you're not allowed to vote in secret for the leadership elections. No, no. You have to yeah, vote yeah, and yeah, show well. your... <laughs> now, that, as far as I'm concerned, is a travesty of a ballot yeah. system. Yeah. So, you know... Well, Robert, Robert, stay with us. We're going to go live to College Green, and I'm going to be joined by Nigel Mills from Amber Valley. Nigel, are you there? I'm, I'm here, yes, Nigel. Yes, hello. So tell us what's going on. Give us the latest, please. Well, I think voting's about to close, so we're all going to be waiting for the result in an hour's time or so, aren't we? Um, I've just been hearing your conversation. It's good to see Robert with you. I, uh, I think he's probably right that you know, this will be a... Uh, I think the Prime Minister will win tonight, but the question is whether he wins by... A large amount. My guess is two-thirds to one-third would be my finger in the air for you, but there's not much science behind that, I'm afraid. It's gone. He's not hearing me. Are you hearing me, Nigel Mills? I can hear you now, yes. Sorry, just, I just wanted to ask you, please tell us how you voted and why you did so. I have voted uh, to have no confidence in the Prime Minister. I did um, you know, send my letter in a couple of months ago after he got his, his police fine. So that was the final straw of the uh, issues surrounding his, just, just the way he conducts himself as Prime Minister. I, I haven't got huge disagreements on policy with him, but I think the... Yeah, the behaviour in number 10 around all the party issues, the Owen Patterson affair, yeah, some of the people we've attempted to get donations from, all, all those issues just built up for me and I just couldn't continue to have confidence in the, mm. you know, the way he was running his office, basically. So if you're right, and if there are 120, 130 MPs that vote no confidence, it's not exactly a bright future for him or indeed for the Conservative Party, is it? I think we'd all much rather this was a clear result last night. Either we, we vote him out and we have the change, or he, he wins comfortably and you know, the party decides to forgive and move on. I think those would be the, the two best outcomes. The rules are clear. If he wins by one, he's, he stays as leader and we have to get behind him. So, I mean, I, I think there is a, a feeling that this is a kind of a, a vote on the party gate situation, and if we do vote to forgive, then we should do that and get behind him. I think that's, that's what I would plan to do and support the all government right. in a. Yeah, it's a genuine, a very difficult situation. But, you know, let, let, let's see what the results are in a, an hour or so's time. We will. We certainly will. Nigel, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And Robert Hayward, final thought, if he's right, if it's 125, 130 against him, 
It's just going to go on and on, isn't it? I, uh, yes, I don't think that there will be forgiveness. The reason <laughs> I say that is not because of anybody's malevolence, but events. We've got two by-elections coming up in two weeks' time. Yeah. And if they go against the party, then this whole thing will be reopened again. It will. Thank you very much you. indeed for joining me this evening. And a quick thought here by What the Farage Moment. Fish and chip shops are in big trouble. Up to a third, maybe more, could close. Fish prices have gone through the roof. Fuel, of course, being one of the big constituent parts of fish prices. And we rely on Russia. We rely heavily on Russia for whitefish. We're now begging the Norwegians. We're begging the Norwegians to please sell us more cod. The Norwegians have a 200-mile exclusive economic zone in the North Sea as an independent coastal state. We, post-Brexit, have exclusive fishing rights up to six miles. This is part of the Brexit deal that has not been delivered. There's plenty of cod off the northeast of England and Scotland that could keep our fish and chip shops going. Boris, whether you stay or go, Conservative Party, please... Please deliver Brexit. Take back our territorial waters. That is what people voted for. Now, we're going to keep all of this going. I'll be back with you after the weather and after the news. Hello again, I'm Ada McGiven from... In the last few seconds, the polls have closed. 359 eligible Conservative MPs have voted. We'll get the result, hopefully, within the next hour. I'll be joined over the course of that hour with more analysis on should Boris survive. Everyone thinks that he will get enough votes. The question is, how many will vote against him? We'll come back to all of that after Polly gives us the news. Nigel, thank you. Good evening to you. Well, as you've been hearing, a confidence vote to decide the fate of the Prime Minister tonight has just ended. Rebels needed 180 Conservative MPs to vote against Boris Johnson in order to oust him. The result of that secret ballot expected around 9 o'clock. Full coverage for you live here on GB News. Well, earlier, Boris Johnson told Tory backbenchers the, yet, the best is yet to come and he warned his party against turning on themselves. Brexit Opportunities Minister Jacob Rees-Mogg told GB News the Prime Minister's speech will have swayed wavering voters. MPs take these matters very seriously and his speech was important, both in setting out what he had achieved and what he was going to go on to achieve in terms of getting economic growth, dealing with the cost of living crisis and ensuring uh, we have more home ownership that has fallen behind in recent years. So it was an important and impressive speech and I'm sure will have encouraged many MPs to support him. Well, away from the confidence vote, there were far more rule-breaking parties at Downing Street than Sue Gray or the public know about. That's the claim from a number 10 insider. He's exclusively told us here at GB News a gathering, including alcohol, even took place in the Downing Street garden while the Prime Minister was in hospital with Covid in 2020. We've used an actor's voice to protect the source's identity. Sue Gray didn't have confidence that those parties covered in the, um, in the report was an exhaustive list. She does say there could well have been more, and there were. 
for example, I think when the PM was in hospital, there was a party, or not a party, but a gathering in the garden with alcohol. Well, away from politics, the former Chelsea boss Roman Abramovich is facing charges in the United States. The businessman's accused of breaking American sanctions against Russia. Authorities there allege Mr Abramovich exported two planes to Russia without licences. And lastly, the Commons has heard if it weren't for the magnificent efforts of Liverpool supporters at the Stade de France in Paris, there could have been a disaster worse than Hillsborough. The MP for Liverpool West Derby says French police were hostile and attempted to smear football fans after pepper spraying and tear gassing fans, including children and pensioners, at the Champions League final. Labour's Ian Byrne is urging the government to force UEFA to launch an independent inquiry. You're up to date on TV, online and on your radio via DAB+. With GB News, we're now. It's back to Farage. Well, those polls have closed. We'll know within the next hour or so how many people have voted no confidence in Boris Johnson. We had Nigel Mills on, Member of Parliament for Amber Valley. Just before the news, he thinks it'll be two-thirds, one-third. Well, if it is two-thirds a third, bearing in mind that a third are on the payroll and not that many turkeys vote for Christmas, that would be about half of the backbenches that had voted against the Prime Minister. And they do come from across the political spectrum. Some of the hardest-line Brexiteers and some of the keenest Remainers are among those who have lost confidence in the Prime Minister. Out there in the country, up to a third of Conservative voters in 2019 no longer like the Prime Minister. The polls to Lord Hayward made the point that often you get midterm blues and that people do go back, uh, despite what they've said about political leaders, come the next general election. The difference is, this time, those Conservative voters who uh, are saying they disapprove now of Boris Johnson are using words as strong as liar. Now, of course, that election in 2019 was all about Brexit, but it was also a lot about Jeremy Corbyn, who was seen by many in those red wall seats to be not a patriotic Labour Party leader, and that did them great damage. They feared him. It's, I suppose, of all the red wall seat victories, Deanna Davison winning Bishop Auckland at the age of 28 was perhaps one of the biggest surprises. Now, she's well known to GB News viewers. She appears regularly on our Sunday morning programme, The Political Correction. And I was on that programme in the first few months of its existence, and I often used to tease Deanna about her support for the Prime Minister, but she was seen very much as a Boris Johnson loyalist in those early days. The announcement that she has voted no confidence in the Prime Minister is, I think, quite a significant moment. Let's cross over to Paul Hawkins, who is still there in Downing Street. Paul, hello. Hello, Nigel. So, the polls have closed. What's the buzz? What's the gossip? The buzz and the gossip is uh, trying to toss up now who has publicly said that they have voted against the Prime Minister and where we stand with the numbers. And frankly, it's a bit of a toss-up. I'm just looking down towards the gate of Downing Street. There are journalists from all across the world looking at their phones, looking at social media, trying to work out the numbers. Same if I look in that direction uh, towards number 11. It's 
it's difficult to say how it's going to go. The interesting figure to look out for, as well as the 180, which would give Boris Johnson uh, the, 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 the confidence vote in his favour, is also 226. Now, if he gets the 226 votes out of the Parliamentary Conservative Party of 359, that would give him 63% of the vote. That would match Theresa May's no-confidence uh, results in 2018. Of course, six months later, she was ousted uh, from office. But at least he could say, well, the party believes in me as much as it did in Theresa May. Mm. So that's 226 votes, that's 63% of the vote. Um, of course, he only needs 180 plus one to stay in. And as you keep saying, as we keep banging on, the real big figure will be to see where the rebellion number comes in. How badly will he be wounded and how will that affect his authority to govern the party and the country over the next few weeks? And indeed, how will that play out when we get those uh, two by-election results on June the 23rd in Wakefield and in Honiton and Tiverton? The current polling suggests the Lib Dems and Labour will take both those seats, which would be a big blow for the Conservatives and will give the rebels some more ammunition to come back at him with a no-confidence vote. That's if they can change the rules at the 1922 committee. No, Paul, absolutely. And just tell us exactly how will this result be transmitted to us and at what time are we expecting it? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock we're going to get uh, Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee, is going to come out, make an announcement. Uh, we'll carry it uh, to you, to the nation, and we'll find out uh, then whether Boris Johnson has survived this vote. He probably will. It would be a huge shock. It would be uh, one of seismic proportions if he were not to uh, survive that confidence vote. But the key figure we're looking for is how many Conservative MPs, instead of all the hearsay, instead of all the letters, instead of all the rumours, yeah. how many of them have yeah, yeah. actually voted against the Prime Minister? Paul Hawkins, thank you. We'll speak to you again, no doubt, very soon. So we're expecting the result, Paul says, at 9 o'clock. Quite why it takes an hour to count 359 ballot papers. I don't know. Who knows? It may come to us sooner, but it'll be Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee, that delivers that result. Earlier on this afternoon on College Green, we spoke to Connor Burns, who is the Northern Ireland Minister and Conservative Member of Parliament for Bournemouth West, and very much a very strong public supporter of Boris Johnson. And this is what he had to say. I will be supporting the Prime Minister for the same reasons that I supported him in 2019. I remember only six months before Boris became Prime Minister, we had finished fifth in a national election. And six months later, Boris Johnson won a decisive victory, the largest Conservative landslide since Margaret Thatcher in 1987. And he has got so much still to do to deliver on the promises that we made the British people in 2019. We're midway through this Parliament. The polls are tricky. The situation is challenging. But I am still convinced that Boris has the vision for this country and that he can lead us to victory at the next general election. I think because of the personal nature of that mandate that he got in 2019, he Deserves the opportunity for my colleagues to see the task through. Okay, we lost the end of that, but you know, as we saw, of course. Strong, strong support there from Conor Burns for the Prime Minister. And there are still many in the country who are strong, strong supporters of the Prime Minister. But from all the expertise you've seen thus far on this show this evening, every one of them says that the very fact a challenge itself is happening at all, in historical terms, weakens the position of 
prime ministers and everyone now keenly looking to see just how big will that vote against Boris Johnson be. Well, joining me now is Sir Anthony Selden, historian, constitutional expert and political biographer, a man who has studied uh, the ups and downs of the great careers of lives of politicians over the years. Uh, Sir Anthony, good evening. Good evening. How are you? Very well, and thank you again for joining us. I just would li li like to ask you how you see how you see this confidence vote in Boris Johnson when you place it in context of similar votes against John Major, Margaret Thatcher, Theresa May. Where does this rate um, in terms of bad news for Conservative Prime Ministers? Well, to state the obvious, it will depend on the vote. I mean, it could be very, very good news if uh, he's able to keep the rebels down uh, to below 60 or even 80. I mean, that would be a, a great vindication for him uh, and be better than if the vote hadn't been triggered uh, because it will show that he has the confidence of the overwhelming numbers of the party. But if there are uh, 130, 140, 150 voting against, and as you've just said, uh, we're going to hear uh, shortly, then that won't be good. And what history shows is that the very act of triggering uh, a vote is bad news for the incumbent prime minister because uh, none of them uh, get uh, managed to, to, to get back to glad, confident morning again. They can't recover uh, their mojo. Some, like John Major, were able to stay on for two years after uh, he himself triggered a confidence vote. Uh, Margaret Thatcher fell on her sword when it was felt she hadn't done well enough against Michael Heseltine. Theresa May was uh, coming out all guns blazing after her vote and, and uh, with her, as you were hearing there, um, two-thirds of the party voting for her. But she couldn't get mm. any clear... Uh, whether uh, and she just one thing after another. The issues that had led to uh, the triggering of that vote continued to dog her. So if history is any guide, and history can be a guide, but not always, it would suggest that um, he will only be uh, clear and free if uh, the voters against him are very small in number. Yeah. And for those of you at home watching this and wondering why next to Sir Anthony and myself, there is a picture um, of a couple of windows. That is the committee room in which the vote took place. Sir Anthony, judging, uh, looking at personalities, uh, historical figures, politicians, Boris Johnson, it seems to me, is not the sort of man that would fall on his sword. And one of the one of the rumours doing the rounds this morning in Westminster, indeed, I think one of the threats to potential rebels, but it has been debated, is that Boris Johnson gets through this vote, but is very badly wounded by the numbers that vote against him and decides to call an early general election. How would you assess those chances? Well, it's possible, isn't it? And certainly um, his critics amongst MPs uh, have been putting that forward as a risk of uh, giving him uh, a, a big mandate and letting him off the hook. Um, it's possible. I mean, I, it, it would be an almighty risk uh, of the similar proportions to Theresa May, who you remember 
uh, triggered a general election in 2017 that the polls showed that she would win convincingly and she only just uh, uh, won by a very narrow, narrow margin. So I think that has burnt itself into the consciousness as one of those truths that people have, like uh, um, the, the, the plotter against the prime minister doesn't then uh, succeed to taking over the crown, uh, Michael Heseltine being a big example there. Another is don't trigger a general election unless you really have to. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And we all remember the famous Brenda from Bristol. Oh, no, not another <laughs> one. And I, think that would be, and I think that would be the case this time yeah. round. Sir Anthony, thank you for joining us and giving us some historical perspective on what's going on thank this you. evening. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to keep going. We're going to have a look at Boris Johnson on the world stage, because that's perhaps one of the areas in which he's been most successful. How much would it matter? Mrs Thatcher went, as I said to you earlier, in the middle of the first Gulf War. How much would it matter? Would it be a blow for Britain's place in the world if Boris Johnson was to go in the next few weeks? Well, they are counting those votes as we speak. We're expecting a result. We're told it's going to come at nine o'clock. Quite why it can't come before is beyond me. It isn't really many ballot papers to count now, is it? But never mind. So more of your reactions from home as to what you think. Andrew says, Boris and his cabinet of oligarchs routinely lie to the electorate. The so-called Conservative Party are only voting on whether or not they can continue to get away with it. Well, that's pretty strong, much stronger than I am. Declan says, it's very, very simple. The people of this country do not want a socialist prime minister. Well, we've certainly gone into a, a PM that keeps on putting up taxes and believing in handouts and redistribution. Joanne says, yes, he's made mistakes, but ultimately he wants this country to be great again. Make Britain great again. Rodney says, Johnson has to go because he has failed. It's as simple as that. Failed on the Northern Ireland Protocol, but totally failed on economics and energy. And can I say, our fishing waters, one of the reasons we do now have a chronic shortage of fish, which is really bad news. Now, even... Johnson's biggest distractors could not say that he hadn't made his presence felt on the world stage because he has. I think it's got a lot to do with Brexit, a newfound self-confidence in terms of our place in the world. Perhaps the pinnacle of that being the AUKUS deal, the deal struck with the Australians to the fury and condemnation of President Macron. Because the deal, of course, had been that the French were selling diesel submarines to the Australians, which in security terms, if you're monitoring Chinese activity, are good as useless, because they have to surface once every 24 hours. Whereas a nuclear-powered submarine of the type that we and the Americans can produce can stay submerged for up to four months at a time. That AUKUS deal was done with Australia, not only good for British business, not only good for British manufacturing, but actually good for Britain's place in the world. It mattered a lot. And the other one, of course, is Ukraine. Now, you may or may not agree with the Prime Minister's strong stance on Ukraine in terms of the amount of equipment that we've provided to them and in terms of the strength of opinion that has come from Johnson and his ministers. But what is for certain 
is that our voice is the strongest of all the European or Western allies. So I wonder, would a Prime Minister going at a time of war in Ukraine, at a time of a rising threat from China, not of course that we've heard much from Boris Johnson on that one, but would it actually make a difference? Would it dent us? Well, joining me to discuss this is Niall Gardner, who is a former aide to Margaret Thatcher. Niall, good evening. Uh, good evening, uh, Nigel. Great to be here. Thanks very much for having me on the show today. No, not at all. Now, you know, I said you worked for Margaret Thatcher back in the old days, and indeed you did. And it is true, isn't it, that one of the arguments given for supporting Margaret Thatcher uh, in that election on the future of her premiership and the future of her leadership of the Conservative Party was that we were in the middle of the Gulf War. And yet, uh, still, the men in grey suits told her it was time to go, and she went, and John Major continued with the Gulf War. Um, in terms of the outcome of that war, looking back all those years, was that a mistake? Well, I do think that, uh, you know, Margaret Thatcher's leadership on the world stage was absolutely outstanding, and certainly uh, that was a, you know, a big, uh, you know, decision to remove a prime minister at that, at that time. I think it was a huge mistake, of course, by the Conservative uh, Party. Uh, and there's always, I think, a, a big element of risk when you're removing uh, a prime minister at a time when, you know, British leadership really matters on the world stage. I think that's the situation that we are facing, you know, right now with the Ukraine uh, crisis. And whatever one thinks overall of Boris Johnson's, you know, leadership domestically, he has been, I think, an outstanding uh, British leader on the world stage, especially with regard to Ukraine, where British leadership far outshines that of, you know, the French or the Germans who have been absolutely pathetic uh, and that of the European Union. Uh, and without a doubt, I think Boris has been, uh, you know, a very effective uh, international leader in the Brexit uh, era. And the idea of removing Boris Johnson right now when the Russians continue uh, to, uh, you know, launch their, their big picture invasion of, of Ukraine. And I, I think this is a, this is a big mistake uh, to make, actually. And Boris Johnson's leadership really does matter. Also, uh, I think as well that, uh, you know, without, without a doubt, um, if Boris Johnson were to go, you would have the likes of Emmanuel Macron, Olaf Scholz, for example, who would be absolutely delighted to see the back of Boris Johnson, because, you know, Boris Johnson has been, I think overall uh, adopting a you know a tough line towards uh, towards Europe. He's been standing up to the EU on multiple areas. They are hoping for a more uh, I, I would say a more deferential British leader who's going to cooperate more closely with with the European Union. And there would be no more more delighted at the departure of Boris Johnson than Emmanuel Macron, of course, who has been literally licking the boots I think of Vladimir Putin and acting as Putin's you know mouthpiece. And so. Uh, you know, Macron would dearly love to see, you know, Boris. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that may be true. Although, Niall, if it was to come to that, I mean, who's to say we don't finish up with Priti Patel as the next prime minister, who was even more hawkish on Brexit, far more hawkish on Brexit than Boris Johnson ever was, uh, was one of the Spartans, voted three times against Theresa May's deal, um, and, 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 and perhaps would be just as strong, uh, whether you agree or not, on Ukraine. So there was no guarantee uh, that, that the person that was to succeed Boris Johnson would have different policies. They might be even tougher. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. You know, I think, I think there are several candidates, actually, 
for the leadership of the Conservative Party who would do a very good job. And I think Priti Patel would be one of those those candidates. Uh, you know, Liz Truss, I think, has been outstandingly good on the Ukraine uh, issue. Uh, but at the same time, there's also a risk that you could have uh, someone from, you know, from the left of the Conservative Party, or Jeremy Hunt, a figure who, who takes over, who adopts a very different uh, approach, actually. And so, uh, you know, this is a very risky business, bringing in a new uh, Conservative Party leader, a new, a new prime minister. You simply don't know, you know, what the outcome is going, is going to be. And I take your point. Now, certainly, there are some very, very strong, robust Conservative candidates out there who could do a very, very good job. But, uh, you know, at the same time, the leadership contest is, is often a kind of Russian roulette, actually. You just simply don't know what the final outcome is going to be. My fear is that you would have somebody uh, who would who would not be as robust as Boris Johnson, who would actually, uh, you know, appease uh, the EU uh, and uh, would, would uh, you know, take the foot off the pedal with regard to British leadership over, over Ukraine. You also need a leader of the Conservative Party who's going to stand up to Joe Biden as well, who's been a disastrous U.S. president, who's knifing Britain in the back over the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, so we need to see Boris standing up to, uh, to Joe Biden. We need to see if, if there is going to be a new leader, somebody who's willing to stand up to the most left-wing president uh, in U.S. Uh, history, stand up for British interests on, on the world stage. And if Boris does stay as PM, I hope he's going to be a lot stronger than he has been in certain areas and return the Conservative Party to fully to its Thatcherite roots wow. as, as a true well <laughs> now look you know you've defended the role of the prime minister on the world stage you said that there's more he can do with america etc and china by the way uh, where he declares himself to be a sinophile despite the clear obvious security threats but i want to turn nile to domestic policy you know you former aide to margaret thatcher you're one of those people who still is proudly flying the flag for small government, for free markets, for low taxes. And here is a Conservative Prime Minister that raises taxes whilst he says he wants to cut them, that has massively increased the size of the state, not just in terms of the economy, but in terms of its interference in our everyday lives. And we saw that with some of the latter and totally unnecessary lockdowns. A prime minister who appears to be wholly unconcerned about legal and illegal immigration now coming into Britain uh, on a scale we could never have imagined. These are all things that would have been surely a complete anathema to Margaret Thatcher. Well, you know, it's my view, and I've, I've said this, you know, on many occasions, that, you know, the Conservative Party in Britain has to stand for conservative principles. You know, conservative voters vote for a conservative party. They don't vote for, uh, you know, a conservative party that, you know, that adopts policies from other political parties. And uh, and I do, you know, my, my view certainly is that if Boris is to, to survive as prime minister, uh, if he is wounded in today's uh, leadership uh, vote, uh, he will have to move the party uh, to the right. Uh, not only for reasons of survival, because it's the right thing to do. He's got to cut taxes. He's got to reduce government spending. I think he has to get rid of a lot of this, you know, hugely costly uh, sort of green environmental agenda that is actually going to undermine British competitiveness. Britain has to be a leader for economic freedom, for economic liberty, a leader for free trade as well. And you have to get big government off the backs of the British people, off the backs of British uh, businesses. And also, of course, every effort has to be made to ensure that Britain's borders are fully secure. Uh, and, and I think that more uh, has to be done on that, on that front uh, also. 
Uh, and, you know, we, we need to have... Well, now, 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 come on, come on, come on. Now, come on. He's doing, he's doing none of those things. He is much more of a metropolitan liberal than he is a conservative. Surely it would be better for the Conservative Party at this moment in time to take a chance and to try and find somebody who believes in the things that you believe in. This guy doesn't believe in them. Well, I think, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Nigel, I think that's, that's a, a gamble. We, we certainly don't know the kind of outcome. You could have a situation whereby you'd have, you know, Prime Minister who is significantly to the left of, uh, of Boris Johnson, especially if, if the right is divided, as, as they significantly are at the moment, as they would be, I think, in any kind of leadership contest. And look what happened after the Brexit, uh, you know, referendum vote, when you had Theresa May emerging as, as Prime Minister. That was... Uh, a near catastrophe yeah. of Britain. We nearly didn't get Brexit as, as a result of that. So huge, huge risks there. Uh, and, you know, I, I do think that, you know, Boris Johnson has the potential, certainly, to shift uh, the, his government to the right. He has to do so. He has to do this because ultimately Britain is going it's to be a far happen. more successful country if it returns to Thatcherite principles of limited government, low taxation. That's the right way forward for success for Britain. But Niall, Nothing good Niall. is going to be Niall, Niall, I might, I may well, I may well agree with you on 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 the points you're making, but it isn't. I repeat, it isn't going to happen under Boris Johnson. Well, you know, I think we'll just have to see what what happens, uh, you know, uh, Nigel. But but also, I, you know, in my view, uh, you know, Brexit is Brexit is safe in the hands of the, of the Prime Minister. He believes in Brexit. Uh, you know, he fundamentally. Uh, you know, believes in respecting the democratic will of the British people. I I'm concerned about the potential of some candidates for the leadership of the Conservative Party who don't share that vision. That's a big concern that I have, that, you know, the, the left will exploit this as an opportunity to undermine Brexit. We know there are many within the Labour Party, the SNP, the Liberals, who would dearly love to reverse the entire Brexit process. There's a real danger here. Uh, Nigel, that uh, you know the left will take advantage of this. It's a big concern that I have. But at least I, I know that Boris, in his heart, believes in Brexit. He's committed to delivering it, uh, and I think Brexit's future is safe in his hands. And that that is a huge that's a huge deal as far as I as I'm concerned. Uh, and uh, you know I hope that the Prime Minister will will be able to continue to lead, but lead with real conservative values, conservative principles, Thatcherite <laughs> conviction and, and beliefs. That, that's what we need to see. Uh, Nigel and uh, oh, uh, Niall. Know, I, I think that's Niall. the best way for Britain at this at this time. <laughs> Niall Gardner, thank you for joining me this evening. I love your optimism. I love your belief. I, I mean, I, and I admire your confidence in Boris Johnson to, live, to deliver all of those things. I would just say to you uh, that in his years in office, he hasn't actually displayed any of them to date. But I do understand your worry about, about what could happen if he's not there. Thank you uh, for joining us here on GB News. Oh, isn't optimism a wonderful thing? Now, GB News' political correspondent Tom Harwood has produced some new material on Partygate. No, don't worry. This is not about Boris Johnson. In fact, in many, many ways, this is a very unpleasant story against Boris Johnson. Let's see what Tom Harwood has uncovered. How many parties did the Prime Minister attend? I can't, I can't be sure exactly. Probably not many. Um, but I think one of the telling things from the report was that Sue Gray didn't have confidence that those parties covered in the, um, in the report 
was an exhaustive list. She does say there could well have been more, and there were. For example, I think when the PM was in hospital, there was a party, or not a party, but a gathering in the garden, with alcohol, um, and the PM wasn't in residence. And often these parties were disproportionately on a Friday, when the PM goes to checkers. So that was a gathering that has so far not been reported, that took place in in Downing Street's garden with alcohol, while the Prime Minister was in hospital, potentially while he was in intensive care. I think, I think he was in the clear at that point, but it was towards the end of the week, and he certainly hadn't been discharged yet. Yeah, well, there we are. That was an insider in number 10 saying that actually parties were going on whilst the Prime Minister was seriously ill in St Thomas's. So this is not something we can lay at the, you know, the blame at Boris's door, other than to say that the whole culture of what was going on at the heart of government was completely and utterly wrong in every single way. And in most organisations, if the culture's wrong, well, somebody... Somebody at or near the top of the organisation needs to take some responsibility, needs to take some share of the blame. As yet, nobody has volunteered to do so. All we get are endless assurances in the House of Commons that all of the rules have been followed when very clearly they haven't. Now, we talked earlier to Gloria De Piero, and she was, of course, the Labour Member of Parliament for Ashfield up in Nottinghamshire, that seat now held by Lee Anderson, a former miner, a former Labour activist who is now the Conservative MP for Ashfield. And one of the towns that makes up Ashfield is Hucknall. And we were out and about today in Hucknall asking people in that red wall seat how they felt about the vote of confidence in the Prime Minister tonight. I actually, in my honest opinion, I don't really mind what happens because, if I'm being honest, going back to lockdown, I don't think there was any other MP that could have done what he did. They would have all been in the same boat. But I don't think there's personally any other MPs that I would like to take over his position because I don't trust any of them. I reckon he should go, mate. I think he's an absolute clown. Yeah, I think I could do a better job than him. He couldn't even run a tap, let alone the country. I think he did a good job over the Brexit the best he could, and also over the pandemic. Boris Johnson, in my opinion, has no empathy, no sympathy for the normal man in the street. He should definitely go. I think Boris Johnson should resign, to be honest with you, for, um, for what he's done to the country, a partying, cheese and wine party. Yes, I think definitely he should go. He had no compassion for people through the pandemic whatsoever when we was obeying by the law. His, his law, what he put, said to us at that time, you know what I mean? That's why I see it. I think he should resign, definitely. I think he should stay. Yeah, he's done wrong, but everybody has to put right uh, what they've done. And I think he's done that. It's not Boris, it's his backbenchers. They should all stick together, not turn against him, off on him. All they want to do is get him out and get back into EU. That's all they're after. And he should stick by his guns, and if them that vote against him, I'll do them. Well, the people of Ashfield, plain spoken there, as they normally are. But again, you see, 
It's that trend. There are people that strongly support the Prime Minister. There are some of you watching this right now that strongly support the Prime Minister. But, 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 a significant minority, perhaps a third of those who voted Conservative in 2019 at the moment want the Prime Minister to resign. They've had enough of him and it's going to be very, very difficult, given that they branded him a liar, given that they think he's let them down badly on not delivering Brexit properly, on not controlling borders, it's going to be very, very difficult to win many of them back. Some reactions from MPs who've been voting over the course of the last couple of hours. And significantly, Deanna Davison, who, who, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, really was the big surprise of the red wall seat intake in 2019. And, and she's very much a prominent member um, of it. On Facebook, she has said that she did not take the decision lightly, but weighing it all up, opted to remove Mr Johnson. I hope that, whatever the result, we politicians can now fully focus on the things we were elected to do for you, she said. Um, well, Deanna, if there's about 130 of you um, in your camp, uh, some hope for unity, some hope for this proving to be some sort of cathartic um, exercise. Kevin Hollinrake, and he's the Conservative Member of Parliament of Thurscombe Moulton, he's been on this show on Talking Pints, and of course it's in his constituency, that the, 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 the migrant camp at Linton on News has been proposed. He writes, I'm voting with the Prime Minister this evening. I don't feel that his breaches of the rules are sufficiently serious to warrant the resignation of the leader of this nation, not least one who has led us to decisive victories for leadership in the general election and 12 months ago in the Hartley-Paul by-election. He's also delivered on Brexit. Stuart Anderson, MP, said, I voted for Boris Boris Johnson. I gave my support to Boris in 19, as did the bulk of the British people. And the people of Wolverhampton South West elected me with Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. I don't believe it's for us to change the Prime Minister. It's the British people who elected him. And I stand behind him and support him. Um, and uh, Mr Bradley from Mansfield told the BBC he would be surprised and disappointed if more than 100 of his own party voted against the Prime Minister. Now, some of you will have heard of the Bilderberg Group. Yes, they've been around for decades, uh, and they're a little bit like a sort of get-together of the World Economic Forum. Uh, lots of conspiracy theories surround these groups. Uh, there is no doubt that these are globalist organisations. These are organisations who want power to go from member states to big globalist institutions, be it the European Union be it the United Nations. And I was really surprised over the weekend to see that the Bilderberg Group held a meeting in Washington, D.C., and that three British members of Parliament attended. David Lammy from Labour, Tom Tugendhat, Conservative, and somebody who's touted, perhaps, as a man who might throw his hat into the ring if things go wrong for Boris Johnson tonight or in the not-too-distant future, and Michael Gove. What on earth were they all doing? at a Bilderberg meeting? Does it make them part of some great, grand conspiracy? Well, um, I'm not accusing any of them of doing that. And Tom Tugendhat, you know, has basically said, as chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, it's my job to know what is going on around the world. But it's certainly causing plenty and plenty of chatter online. Now, we still haven't got that result. We're told it's going to come at about 9 o'clock this evening. As I say for a third time, quite why it takes an hour 
uh, for this result to come through is completely and utterly beyond me. But it's been a very long political day since we first heard the news. By the way, I think those letters were in before <coughs> the Jubilee weekend, but there's no way, there's no way that the chairman of the 22 committee would want politics to spoil the weekend. And indeed, it's why I didn't tell you last Thursday, sitting here, the reaction that I'd had on the Mall and in St James's Park. And that is all right and proper. I'm delighted that it was a fabulous weekend for Her Majesty. But it's been a long day. And even though we haven't planned to do it, I think we might just allow ourselves perhaps a talking pints to reflect on partly what has happened, but indeed what is going to happen. And I'm joined by David Maddox, political editor of The Express Online. David. Hi, Nigel. Pretty intense day in the lobby, I guess. It's been a long, long day. It's uh, yeah, not over yet. Not quite. Anyway. Now, now you've, I mean, you've been a journalist all, all of your working life. Pretty much, you, yes. You've uh, been on top of open-top double-decker buses with me and <laughs> watched me campaigning up and down the country. And, of course, it was the Express. It was the Express. Absolutely. Under the, under the ownership of Richard Desmond, mm -hmm. and he's somebody who takes a lot of stick in a lot of quarters, but it was a big editorial decision mm -hmm. in 2014 that the Daily Express came out, Daily and yeah. Sunday Express, came out as the first national newspaper to back leaving the European Union. Yeah. And it's difficult for viewers and listeners right now to understand just what a big deal that was. It was, it was a huge deal. It was uh, a, a kind of groundbreaking moment, actually. And uh, it's amazing how quickly a lot of the other national titles followed, uh, especially during the referendum. But yeah, but that was two years later. Two years later, yeah. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was a brave move, actually. Uh, but it was the right thing to do. And actually, the people behind that move, Richard and others, um, were instinctively right. And they were right with the um, core of the majority. Oh, of the not core. according to Private Eye oh. at the time yeah. or the other publications. And it was complete mockery, wasn't it? It was. Desmond it was. of the Express Group newspapers. You were well ahead of the curve. Absolutely. And I was, as leader of UKIP at the time, obviously, I mean, grateful. I mean, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, up until that moment, every national newspaper was against me. Yeah, well, it, what was it? You'd, yeah, I remember you describing it to me as the first brick out of a wall. Yes. And uh, of course, red walls are now very popular. Technology, <laughs> well, we're uh, going to come back to the yeah, red wall. But, I but promise it's, you. Uh, but, it, but it was the first brick out of a wall. And actually, I, funnily enough, I think those two things are linked. I think Boris's success subsequently in those red wall seats is is simply because the Brexit vote was so much there uh, and so much of a forgotten people in this country. Well, if you look at the numbers of people in 1415 um, that voted at UKIP, and then you look at the numbers of people that voted Brexit Party in 2019, and there's something like over six million mm. people at some point voted for those parties in those yeah. elections that I led. It's a big, big chunk of the electorate. Mm. And, yeah, I can't... I mean, I've always said that, you know, I was the gateway drug. You know, <laughs> you know once they'd left the Labour Party or they'd started voting again, perhaps mm. having not been engaged in the whole process for years, that did lead on to a big victory for Boris in 19. And don't forget, you know, mm. I stood down against him. Yes. In over, three, in over half the seats in the country and then yes. gave him a free ride in. Um, so I, I kind of think... I kind of think he wouldn't even be there if I hadn't done well, the things I did in 2019. What... what, what 
hardly anybody talks about. Everybody um, mocks Joe Swinson for going for that election. Mm. But she was getting polling at the time, internal polling at the time, which showed that Lib Dems would sweep the southwest parts of the south of England. But it was all based on the Brexit Party standing against Conservative MPs. And of course, once he made that decision, uh, one actually you uh, you uh, trailed in the Sunday Express, uh, which yeah. we were uh, yeah. very pleased about at the time. It, it changed the it whole dynamic. The Lib Dems, it completely it? finished him. It poleaxed yeah. the Lib Dems, and that in the end is why I did it. Yeah. You know, I didn't want there to be a second referendum. I didn't like the Johnson deal. I'm upset the fish and chip shops haven't got any cod because we haven't <laughs> taken back our waters in Northern Ireland and much mm. else that we could talk about. Uh, latest news is that at the close of polls, 169. Conservative members of Parliament have declared their support for the Prime Minister, which is not exactly overwhelming, and we'll come to that, David. That's, uh, that's not much at all. It's not, not much at all, in your view? 169 yeah. support or... Publicly said they've supported. Well, publicly said they've yeah. supported. They've publicly that's, stated they'll support. Yeah, that's, uh, they would have been hoping more for, for more than that. They'd have hoped for more than 180, yeah. I think. Yeah, well, we'll come to that. David, you've been in classical print journalism, Sunday Express, Daily Express, um, and you've made this decision in the last few months mm. to move. You're now the political editor of the Express online. So are you sort of just joining the inevitable well, move of journal? I mean, are our newspapers... I still buy newspapers. I still buy yeah. newspapers. I buy piles of newspapers every day. Um, I know my kids think I'm a dinosaur. Mm. Um, are newspapers finished as we know them? Well, I, I, th I think that's, that's the problem. Um, you know, newspapers still have a very important part to play. But, you know, we, we in the industry have to recognise that so much, so much is now going online. Most of our readership is online. Now we most have of a, your readership. Most what, of our in readership, terms of we have pages tenth, read or numbers we, we of people? We have the tenth biggest news website in the world. And come with me again. The, the, the tenth biggest the Express is the, the tenth biggest news website in the world. And you know, it's you know, we, we, you're talking millions and millions of people logging onto the website every month, and uh, it's it's a different thing. And circulation is slowly declining. Um, I took the decision that I needed to really kind of concentrate on the online world. That's not to say that newspapers are finished. They're not. There's still some fantastic journalism. There's different sort of journalism there. It's a different, it's a different skill. It's much more uh, punchy and reactive, actually, online, as I'm discovering. Uh, okay. But uh, uh, still learning. That. And it allows but, uh, the readers yeah. to engage more directly, doesn't it? It does, yes. the traditional letter to the editor, yeah. you know, which were often, in our national press, very amusing and yes, very interesting, indeed. but it's now all there. Well, we, get, we get hundreds of comments under our stories, and, and you know, we take these comments seriously, actually. We, uh, we actually measure comments you do. on our stories. It's, it's an important thing. People who think that they're just commenting. And how do you moderate a, that? How do you stop people, how do you stop people you well, know, inciting violence or using very bad language? We, we, we have to block people and uh, on occasions. Fortunately, we don't have a huge problem with that, but every, every news website worth its salt has to be prepared to do that and to act when, you know, we get alerts on things and we're, you know, we're always checking the comment sites. Most of our comments are fairly feisty debates, but yeah. nothing that would worry. And so one person comments and others comment on the comment exactly, and not yes. just on the piece yes. that you've written or somebody else 
exactly. has written. What does interest me, and you know, I've obviously got a deep interest in American politics, mm. you know, and have had for a few years, and we've met in America, Indeed. and you've written yes. stories on me doing stuff in America, yeah. is the British titles online seem to be enormous in America. We, we do. I mean, the, yeah. the Independent, yeah. which we think of as being tiny here, has quite a big following in the States, we, the Mail, uh, we, you know, we, and you've got a following out we, there. We have an enormous following, and we, um, as yet, don't even have the right website address for America, and yet we've got millions and millions of readers Why? out there. What is it about the American audience of British newspapers? They like, uh, they like our politics, strangely enough. Uh, they see a lot of links and parallels with their own. Uh, they hugely like the royal family yeah, things, okay. and that's okay. uh, I mean, that's you know the, the whole Meghan uh, debate is is uh, an absolute draw for them. So and the American uh, fascination with the royal family. Absolutely, they kicked them out almost time ago. And uh, well, George III wasn't mean. a great monarch, you know. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know. but it is fascinating, isn't it? So we are kind of, we always think of American culture taking us over, whether it's music or changes to words we use. You know, if I ask you, how are you? You won't say I'm very well, thank you. You say I'm good. Yes. Exactly. You know, so we always think exactly. that we're following America and everything. And it seems that in journalism, in a way, we're, we're leading the way over there. I would, uh, I'm going to upset all my American friends and colleagues over there, but I would say British journalism has for a long time been ahead of the game. Of American journalists. So, do you have many people out there writing for you in America? Uh, not as yet, but we, we are planning to, and it's uh, we, we we're doing a lot of it from here. We actually have regular polling uh, from America on on the website and in the newspapers, things, and yeah, it's it's something we're planning to build. No, you don't on. have to do. It. Now we're looking at pictures here for those of you watching us on television. That is the committee room in which the vote took place, and there are MPs now gathering in anticipation of the result. Whether these are the so-called plotters or the Johnson loyalists, I simply don't know. David, we talked a moment ago about these voters, these people that Richard Desmond and mm. you guys at The Express recognised, that I began to recognise a few years earlier than that, just going mm. out knocking on doors, that there was a section of the British electorate mm that felt completely ignored. Mm. Um, everyone thought they were all Tories that wanted to leave the European Union. They were completely wrong. No, there were totally swathes of the old Labour movement uh, that felt exactly the same way, and the older ones had felt the same way in 1975 in, 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 in the referendum back then. Um, we came to 2019, and Johnson won this whopping mm. great majority. But I wonder, we always look at it, and the history book's all right, Mm. that it was the Brexit election, getting Brexit over the line after mm. years of, of, well, frankly, dishonesty, in mm. my opinion, from the building, uh, the Palace of Westminster behind us. Mm. But actually, the Corbyn factor was quite big too, wasn't it? It was. It was. And with, with Corbyn, a lot of those traditional Labour voters saw somebody unpatriotic who was completely against their natural instincts and it's been really fascinating to see in the last few weeks how you've had people like Keir Starmer and others coming out and you know saying it's people's patriotic duty to get involved with a platinum jubilee because they know that they've got to reclaim that, that I, I was delighted to hear him say it actually. It was, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. I even had um, a member of a shadow cabinet texting me the other day 
to saying, uh, wanting to catch up with me because saying we need to speak to express readers, not to Guardian readers. And that, that tells you uh, about, you know, Keir Starmer's got his problems. He, he may himself have to resign in a, a week well, or two. Well, the irony of that would be just, uh, but, but it's not going to happen. No, it's, it's, not. it's not going to happen. Well, I, mean, I don't know. Oh, come on. They didn't find Cummings. No, well, then, that's then the it's the same police force in Durham. I mean, indeed, they're not going to find Starmer, indeed. are they? But we'll, we'll see. But uh, no, it's unlikely to happen. But he has his. There are criticisms of Keir Starmer. But actually, that instinct and understanding that they've got to reclaim that sort of territory and go back to their traditional. Shows their thinking. Like, shows that they're yeah, at I mean, least partially in the right track. You do with yeah. a bit more personality, well, but yeah. at least they're thinking the right yeah. way. Now, David, your readers. Your readers, those that buy the newspaper and read it online, your readers are a very, you know, not all of them, obviously, but they are generally pro-Brexit, yep. pro-the Queen, they'd have loved Absolutely. the Jubilee yep. and, and, and street yep. parties and all that was going on. They would have voted for Boris in 2019 yep. pretty overwhelmingly. Yep. Where do you place your readers today with what's going on? So there, there is a genuine division. There is a large chunk of our readers who are fed up with the whole party gate issue and think it's all a conspiracy. What, just bored with it? Bored with it. All think it's a conspiracy against Boris. We get a lot of letters and, uh, and comments on that side of things. And they think it's a plot to undo Brexit and, mm. and all the rest of it. And we, and we get some who are genuinely angry. But it's interesting that a lot of the genuinely angry ones are like, a lot of the MPs, it's not really Partygate, it's policy. It's not, they have a feeling but that it must be lies go. too. I mean, lies. Well, it's lies, but, but it's, you know, so, you so, have. So a, you're saying that policy. Policy, it's tax rises, it's net zero, it's these sort of policies which they feel are not conservative and not what they voted for and are adding to the cost of their living, you know, which is the big issue really at the moment. And that, that is what... If you could put a number, if you could put a number, I mean, it's a tough question, hmm. but if you could put a number on the percentage of express devotees wow. that were feeling unhappy, worried, what would it be? I would... Hmm, that's a good question. I would say around 30 to 40%. Yeah, well, that's massive. Yeah. Because you know, I've been saying all evening, all the polling suggests a third of those who voted mm. for Boris Johnson in 2019. Yeah. Are, so, no, that's absolutely where mm. I think we are. Tough question, I'm sorry. But, but, right. no, but no, I think yeah. that's where we are. Um, but, but, but midterm blues, we know all about midterm blues. Mm. And people go back at the next election. But it does feel there's a double pincer movement here on the Conservatives. It's the Liberal Democrats yes. in the South. And, and the Northwest. The Northwest, yeah, there go are a on. lot of because they have had seats in Rochdale and places like that. There are like a lot that. of conservative seats in the Northwest, which are perilously close That's to most of the Lib Dems. That's interesting. And then you've got Labour in the old Red Wall, where mm. whilst they may not love Keir Starmer, he's not Jeremy Corbyn. No. I thought Deanna Davidson voting against Boris was very significant, didn't she? Yes, absolutely. Very she was part of a January uh, coup, uh, attempted coup as well. And uh, that's all coming from, most con uh, from her constituency. She's, she's reading the runes there, as, as are others. And they're going to lose their seats, aren't they? 
Well, this is a problem, and this is what focuses the minds of MPs, and that's why Conservative MPs are particularly good at getting rid of leaders in the end, because leaders who don't win them their seats tend to be out of yeah. the door. Happened to Thatcher, happened to <sighs> May, um, should have happened to Major, really, but... Well, it was interesting, very interesting. Sir Christopher Meyer was in mm. the early part of the programme, and there he was as you know, press secretary to mm. John Major, saying all these years on, in retrospect, it would have been better if he'd lost in 95. Absolutely. They'd have had a better chance. So, David Maddox, political editor of The Express Online, if you were a Conservative member of Parliament, <laughs> how would you have voted tonight? <laughs> I would have found it difficult, actually, because I do recognise... A lot of the efforts to get rid of Boris is, uh, is to undo Brexit, mm -hmm. and I do recognise that argument. On the other hand, there are policy issues which I think are problematic, especially the tax rises, which nobody voted for. In fact, there was a promise not to do that sort of thing. Uh, I, I have issues as well, personally, about uh, the way lockdown was extended beyond, mm, so uh, and a lot of a lot of. That a lot of the ill feeling has actually come from that, uh, at least amongst All his right, own. So you're ranks. not going to answer my question. And but I, I, it would have been a difficult one. I would. Have, no, no. Uh, I, I listen. Yeah. I understand. I understand that. My last question for you. Final thought mm. on all of this over our drink. Just before we get the result, and it's due in three or four minutes, guys. The result. If Boris wins, there may be more agony. Can he win the next general election? Yes, he can, because he's up against Keir Starmer, and I don't think Labour have detoxified from the Corbyn era sufficiently enough, and in Keir Starmer they have a very uncharismatic leader with very little policy, and frankly a man who can't say what a woman is is going to be a problem. That's a problem very, form. very strong point. David Maddox, thank you for joining me on Talking Pints. Pleasure. Well, it's all coming up in a few minutes' time. We will know the result, and uh, you'll get my view on that very, very quickly afterwards with Dan Wharton, I can absolutely assure you. And, you know, I disagree with Maddox there. I think with him they've got no chance of winning. Too much trust has gone. Anyway, that's enough from me.